welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And I'm Sarah Watt. And welcome back, Sarah! Thanks, guys! For those of you listening who don't know, or maybe haven't caught the last few episodes, Sarah's been out of the country. She's been in the United Kingdom. We recorded a couple of episodes remotely, and then... And then then you replaced me! (laughs) We just had some internet issues and technology issues, so... Uh, Sarah very graciously decided to tap out for mm-hmm. that time. But it's good to be back, guys. Especially so... talking about these two films. It's so good to be back. And we've just enjoyed a lovely dinner with Sarah and her husband, Doug, who've provided for us. Hey, hey William. It was lovely. Um, yeah, l- lots of smoky sausage, risotto. Mm-hmm. Mm. And wine. We did, have you finally got to a wine episode. Sarah's missed all of our previous evening mm. wine episodes. And I'm partial to a drop of wine. And so yeah. I always think, I wonder whether that will... Uh, ameliorate the podcast experience. So I guess we're about to find out. We're on the tea now, dear listeners. Tea. Mm. And I brought chocolate for us if we'd like some chocolate. Mm. Let's see how we go. We'll see how we go. Sarah, um, give us a bit of an update. Like, like your time overseas, were there any film highlights, anything that is worth alluding to for our listeners? It'll be a little bit late now for everybody because it came out a couple months back, but we thoroughly enjoyed, or rather I went by myself and thoroughly enjoyed Nicolas Cage in The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. What an extraordinary film. What an extraordinarily delightful, fun time with the wonderful Nick Cage. But I will just say, rather than give you a litany of all the films that I I did get to see, um, a film that I saw in Brixton um, that unfortunately I don't know if and when we're going to get it here at all is an extraordinary over two hour documentary about the wonderful Italian composer Ennio Morricone. Hey. It's called Ennio. Um, two and a half hours might sound long, but my goodness, we're talking about a well, a man who made it into his 90s and only died in 2020, um, but also just had an exhaustive career. Um, And the film is an absolute blast. It takes you right from the beginning of his pop song writing career all the way through the the Dollars series. You know, the Sergio Leone um, uh, spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood. Uh, Oh, the whole film is is absolutely ecstatic, ecstasy-inducing. And I really do hope that um, viewers in New Zealand do get a chance to see that at some point. Or we can just watch it if it streams on something. That would be fine. But the big screen, big uh, big sound experience of Ennio Morricone, of course, can't be beaten. So that was, um, that was a, a real highlight. But guys, it didn't make up for missing my time with you. Aww. So let's get into it and talk about two blockbusters of our time. I do just want to say, though, and I've plugged this before, but Sarah has her own podcast uh, where, where she focuses on film um, composers. And one of the, I think the first one was on Ennio Morricone, mm-hmm, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's The Sound of Movies. That's right. Thanks, Jeremy. Nice no plug. I love yeah. it. It's mm. beautiful. I've already mentioned Doug. Doug edits it as well, doesn't he? That's he, right. It's got wonderful editing um, and little snippets of the magic of the different composers. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Nice. Well, each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Top Gun Maverick, which came out very recently, and Tron Legacy, which came out 12 years ago in 2010. My goodness. The connection being, well, there's a few connections, but the big one being they're both 80s films that are... I guess requels was the scream yeah. word that was used, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sequels with a sense of Lego sequels. I like that a lot. Lego sequels. Mm-hmm. And they also have the same director, which I his name is 
Joseph Kaczynski. Joseph Kaczynski. Thank you, Sarah. Well, Sarah, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction on Top Gun Maverick? Sure would, Jeremy. Back in the olden days, Tom Cruise shot to fame in a... Don't ask me what sort of aeroplane it was. I know you're all out there going, it's a MiG-16 or something. Look, I don't... They don't pay me to know about the makes of aeroplanes. They pay me to look at Tom Cruise uh, in the original Top Gun and go, there is a star in the making, ladies and gentlemen. Fast forward, well, actually, I haven't done the math. How many years is it on? 30-something? 30-something years on, um, director Joseph Kaczynski convinced Mr. Cruise to return for the sequel of Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick. Um, So we've got Tom Cruise uh, reprising his role as... Pete Maverick Mitchell, um, brought back to the elite um, pilot training scheme uh, called Top Gun, um, not to fly this time, but to train up bright young things to embark on a hitherto secret mission against an enemy whose name we never know. And I think that's a mark of the film, is that there is a foreign enemy and there is a plot that needs to be deployed, but we do not need to know who, who our enemy is in this uh, in, in this instance. So Maverick comes on board, and um, in doing so, he has brought... Oh, and Jeremy, you didn't say about spoilers, but guys, let's face it, if you haven't seen Top Gun, get off this. Well, I was going to save it go. for after this, but if you're going to spoil right. it... So, warning, dear listeners, yes, there is a spoiler warning. If yeah. you haven't seen either film, I would suggest pausing this episode... And coming back to it and, at a future date. Over back to you. And sir. well, mainly my top, my my spoiler was of course about the original Top Gun when oh, Anthony right. Edwards' character Goose. Uh, <gasps> aren't I allowed to say this? Um, no, sorry, you must know this. I, I, I was being overly dramatic. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, dies, and uh, one of the characters in Top Gun Maverick is his son, played by Miles Teller, who obviously bears a bit of a grudge against mm-hmm. uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell, um, based around the death of his father. That's all I have to say about that film. Really, we'll come back to it. I'm sure there will be more to say, though. (laughs) (laughs) William, give us a bit of an overview of Tron Legacy. All right, the grid. (laughs) Um, Tron Legacy is the many years in the making, also 30 years in the making sequel to the 1982 cult classic Tron, where Disney, um, on a whim, spent a lot of money creating amazing computer-generated scenery and groundbreaking special effects um, in service of a movie about what it takes to be inside a computer. What are programs? What is data? How can we visualize this stuff in a world of heroes and villains trying to uh, unlock the secrets of the computer? And now we are in the 2010s, and technology has traveled a heck of a long way since the 1980s. Joseph Kaczynski, uh, in his debut film, uh, creates, I think, a very, very interesting movie about fathers and sons, Mm. which I guess Top Gun Maverick is about as well, uh, where the son of the main character of Tron, uh, in this case, Sam Flynn, played by Garrett Hedlund, um, misses his dad greatly, who was, in both movies, played by Jeff Bridges. One thing leads to another. He gets sucked into the grid, and lots and lots of things happen that concern the fate of both the grid, this computer world created by Kevin Flynn, his dad, and our own world. Mm. Wow. Did you say the son of Tron? 
Oh, the son the, of Kevin. The, the son of Kevin Flon. Of, Sorry, Tron. Tron is a. Uh, this is going to get super it's, nerdy. Yeah, it gets super meta. No, because this is one of my biggest issues with the film. Is yes. I don't fully understand the whole Tron character. Tron is one of the main characters in the first movie. He's played by Bruce Boxleitner, um, who is uh, one of Jeff Bridges' pals. And the conceit of the first movie is that the programs that the programmers create take on their likeness, which is a really cool idea, right? Mm. So you have. Uh, Jeff Bridges creating Clue in the first movie and the second and he looks and behaves just like Jeff Bridges almost as if he had imbued his code with part of his personality mm. right so Tron was uh, a protector program he was a warrior program in the first movie uh, who was uh, became Jeff Bridges partner when he got sucked into the computer and helped him uh, save the world basically and in the second movie well Tron is something else entirely yeah yeah well, I saw. I'm going to jump on with Tron. Please. I, I saw Tron at the IMAX cinema in Auckland. I have a lot of issues with the IMAX cinema in Auckland, as I've talked about in the past. I mm. think the sound is sound quality is not good, and uh, yeah, I have other issues as well. Anyways, that was at a time I saw that film at a time where I, I had never experienced it before, and so all of my criticisms of IMAX were not present. Mm. And I went along by myself mm. and. Um, it was a 3D film. I put the 3D glasses on. Remember, remember the days where we used to do that? <laughs> it's um, coming back. James Cameron deems it so. Wow, with Avatar 2. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um, and I and the, the key thing I remember is that it was a Wizard of Oz moment where you put the 3D glasses mm-hmm. on and didn't notice that your film wasn't in 3D. And then when Sam Flynn went into the computer world, it all became 3D. Mm. Which was very oh, cool. I remember that. Cool. It I did cool. see it in the cinema, but yeah. I didn't remember that. It was cool for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Because then your eyes readjust and you don't notice that it's 3D I anymore. Think, sure. What other movie? Coraline did that as well, right? right. The stop motion movie mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. the real world is flat, but when Coraline enters into the dream world, the entire 3D just stretches out. Mm. It's very much a 2010s thing. Can I leap in? This is like, you didn't ask for this, but this is what you get. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm a little bit older than these gentlemen, as I, I make a point of saying so every time. Ladies and gents, back in the actual 80s, when I was just a wee gal, um, the television, because we only had the television to watch, yeah, there weren't other options. I don't mean that there weren't cinemas, of course there were, but I'm talking about the TV, yeah? They did this um, version, a 3D version of a King Kong movie, and at KFC, they were giving away or selling blue and and, uh, red (laughs) 3D you know, cardboard with cellophane 3D glasses and everyone got together. It was like event... What was it What was it called? Like event viewing back in the day, yeah? I mean this. Literally, it was sleepover time. You get all your mates together on the Saturday night. The television programme goes on. We all strapped on these little cardboard blue and red um, 3D glasses and I was expecting some sort of Alice in Wonderland transformative experience. And um, I hardly need tell you that my family's little television uh and these this little bit of kfc cardboard did not actually give me (laughs) the awesome 3d experience but i remember the build-up and the anticipation of we're going to watch a film in 3d yeah and i suddenly can't remember the name of it but it was like a king kong (laughs) film do you know um and it was a big deal for us i love that i love that anticipation as a kid but in the huge disappointment things don't (laughs) Penna, you make me remember um, when I was working at the Embassy Theatre in Wellington at the height of sort of 3D film mm. time, and there was, uh, I don't remember what the film was, could have been the, the Tintin movie, I don't mm. remember, and I remember this elderly, quite elderly couple walking down the, the quite long corridor to the uh, downstairs cinemas, 
to see a 3D film. And of course, the real D technology is those black glasses yes. with the clear, the yep, clear yep, lenses. Yep. Polarized. And they, they helped bring the, like, the film to life in, in 3D. And they came down and they bought their tickets and then they pulled out their, what probably was like their KFC 3D glasses with red and blue cellophane. Oh, so oh, we've got oh. our glasses. And I said, oh. And my heart just kind of warmed to them because they were so cute. They'd kept their, oh. their glasses for probably about 20 years. Yes, that's right. And I said, oh, it's actually different technology now and you'll need to purchase these ones for $2 or something. And they mm. said, oh, okay, no worries. Mm. So they did that. But they, they shuffled off and watched their movie and... I might have even snuck into the cinema just to see their reaction, and there was sort of hopefully a, their oh, minds were blown. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So that was, that well, was that's a what it was moment. like for us yeah. in the olden days, Jeremy. Yeah, <laughs> cellophane. But anyway, well, so, yeah. speaking of the eighties and speaking of nostalgia, guys, Tron, just Tron. <laughs> I tried watching uh, the other day and turned it off. Oh, I really? Seen I didn't get it. I was like, I know what's going on. I don't think okay. I have. Well, let me tell you a story. Um, <laughs> so, so Tron was probably the one of my earliest movie memories um, when, you know, it was the late 80s. I was very young, three, maybe two even. Um, but we had two Betamax tapes. Ooh, Betamax. Yeah. Uh, and one of them was The Little Mermaid, which came out in 1989, and then Tron, which came out a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um who and directed the first one? Do you happen to know? Is it oh, relevant or I, not? I can't remember the name. Is Sorry. A, is it a somebody? Uh, the person, I think, uh, produced the second one. Okay. Yes. We'll, we'll leave it there. Okay. Um, the first one was very much a tech demo by uh, people who would end up becoming, you know, the computer animation department at uh, Lucasfilm wow. and Pixar and, yes. you know, just very, very cutting edge stuff mm-hmm. but as a kid that was my favorite movie like i had no idea what was going on i knew computers <laughs> were involved i knew video games were involved and it was just a really pretty movie yeah. and even you know i rewatched tron last year during the height of the pandemic and it's a really slow like cult classic sci-fi mm-hmm. movie but i would argue so is the sequel mm-hmm. um both these movies are so unique in their and what they want to achieve, and they're very, very cool mirrors of each other. Mm-hmm. The original Tron, um, again, I would argue is not a great movie, but I think is a very, very good movie, and very, very ambitious in a way you don't see in a lot of 80s movies, or even movies today. And similarly, Tron Legacy, you know, 2010, what, what a year, like I just moved to the States, this is the, the first movie I ever saw in Duluth at the, the Marcus 10 Lakeside, it was at the big faux IMAX, mm-hmm. went to see it with my, bo- um, my Bob mate, my roommate Bob, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who was a big you know, Tron head as well, and it's like, oh man, this, this image is amazing. It, yeah. Um, and just watching this probably in its entirety for the first time since 2010. You're talking about Tron Legacy now. Tron Legacy, yeah. 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 Uh, it really took me back to 2010. It's like, man, there were good movies back yeah, then. Good it's... movies that were not sequels to Thor 3. Yeah. Or, you know, were not tied to these long-running franchises. I love Fast and Furious, but once you head to number 10 in the franchise, it's mm-hmm. like, come up with something new. And yeah, you know, Tron Galaxy is a franchise, but it's something that is very, very happy to give the audience something brand new that they've never seen before and be willing to shout out the big bucks to just have this amazing experience of light and sound. And that's why we go to the movies, It is, you're so right, William, light and sound. Because, you know, I can get a little bit derisory about the plot uh, of 
Tron Legacy, and I can certainly <clears throat> say a few things maybe about some of the performances, but flippin' eck, if you just want a spectacle, you're absolutely right. Back in the in 2010 in the IMAX, it was extraordinary. And even more recently on Disney Plus, on my reasonably average television, it's spectacular looking. I can't believe that it holds up 12 years later yeah. in terms of its aesthetic because you would have thought it was the aesthetic part that was going to, that you know, that technology is designed to, to push on, isn't it? And to be more impressive. But it just, to me, um, shows how impressive it was originally. You know, yeah. it's still, look, what a, what a film. And with that incredible soundtrack by oh, Daft Punk. <laughs> I mean, all of it is beautiful. Yeah. Not just the disco scene. It's not a disco. The nightclub scene. <laughs> you know, it it's spectacular, mm -hmm. isn't it? It's one of the best scores yes. in, in modern film history. Yeah. I can't think of a score that, I mean, the Mad Max score was pretty Maybe. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and Inside Out, and, you know, there's some other scores out there. I just realised that my two top films are the... <laughs> <laughs> um, but that Daft Punk score... I immediately went and bought it on iTunes because yeah. I mean that was a thing, um, and I just thought, wow, this and it was it was harking back to Blade Runner, Vangelis, yes, yes. Vangelis, so and and like you said, light and sound, and wow, in terms of light and sound, what a what a joy, and, absolutely. And I think my issues with the movie were the same issues I had back in twenty ten. I agree with you; it's really held up. Um, I think that I didn't know. I think the Tron character is the biggest what's going on for me and it's supposed to be this thing and I don't understand and we'll get to Maverick soon but I think Maverick did a much better job of bringing people along for the ride who had or hadn't seen the original film yes um, my thing with Tron is the first act the first hour is really great I love the setup I love the you know Sam Flynn being thrust into the world and having to fight in the arena mm -hmm. and the bringing of the Tron bikes in mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty exciting, right? First yeah. time round. Absolutely, yeah. And, and watching it second time round, it's so clean. Yes. Like, the editing is pitch perfect. Like, the, the you know, the, uh, what do they call it? The laser disc fights. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the, the bikes and the, the streams of light. You know where everyone is at all yeah. times. Yeah. Uh, most of it's animated, but it feels so tactile. Like, yeah. man, it's they, very, very well done. They must have had a mixture of... It's interesting to know what the real elements were, because it did feel really real. Well, I, I was reading some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, uh, as we'll very much talk about with Top Gun as well, uh, Joseph Kaczynski... I mean, Tron was his first movie, and before, you know, as is said in many, many interviews of the years, he trained as an architect, oh. right? And so in Tron, uh, one of the things he wanted was as much real-world tangible materials as possible. Right. So the sets weren't just made from plasterboard and made to look like stone. They were made from stone and glass, and he wanted as much of that to be physical as possible because he was saying uh, the tangibility of something like that on screen is just different to either something that's fake or something that's digital. That's, I think that's that, the biggest strength of the movie. There's mm. a confidence in, in what, in vision, I guess. There's a confidence. Whether, whether it all works or not, I, I'd much rather see that confidence and that, you know, really stepping out and trying to make something that is, it stands on its own two feet, like you were saying, William. It's its own world. It's its own feel. And I think the film really succeeds in that way. I think the second act is where the film really dips. When you... When you've got the the army coming in, and um, again Tron, and when you've got um, you know the sequence at the nightclub with yeah. um, what's Michael his name Sheen. Michael, Sheen. Michael Sheen, it's a little bit tonally a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but then the last act, the last half an hour, when they start flying through the air mm. and they're trying to get to the 
all of that stuff is fantastic yeah. and it's an yeah. interesting film for, I mean it's I'm interested what you've just um, told us William because I've made a little note snarky that I am saying would have been a bore to shoot and act in it with all that green screen but it sure is gorgeous to look at and I mean I still think there probably is a high degree of green oh, yeah, skin yeah, and sure. so therefore performance wise it wouldn't have been hugely fun and I know mm-hmm. that all of us are performers in some way so we can you know empathise I don't think that that forgives Garrett Hedlund um, <laughs> I mean, so Garrett Hedlund, ladies and gentlemen, he's all right and he does what's on the page. And to be fair, apart from all that sort of biblical um, mumbo jumbo, the Cain and Abel, the Castor and Pollux, but they don't mention Pollux, just Castor. And then um, uh, Zeus, but they don't call him Zeus, they call him Zeus. And you know what I mean? But anyway, all that business. There's not a lot for Garrett Hedlund to do, but also I don't think he's up for it. But I did think at the time, so here's the funny thing, yeah, Um, before I rewatched it, I thought, oh, I'll go back and I'll read one of my very, very early reviews. Long before I was reviewing for anybody, I was just writing on my own blog. And would you believe, um, because I called my review, it's biodigital jazz, man. (laughs) It is my top hitting blog post of all time on my film review blog (laughs) because obviously if you'll forgive the term film nerds around the world have typed in it's biodigital jazz man and they and then Mm. they hit on my thing and then they realize they don't want to read this film review but i already get the hit don't i (laughs) god bless the the internet anyway so i reread my review and um at the time, I thought, oh, this will be a bit of a launch pad for this Garrett Hedlund fellow. Mm. And a couple of years later, I went to Cannes and I saw him in a Jack, uh, playing Jack Kerouac in a film, and a real art house film called On the Road. I'm fairly sure that mm. was that was right. But then what? I, I, thought, mean, I thought he was okay. I no, don't, but then what? He what hasn't done anything else. Career? Yeah, no, yeah. he hasn't done anything else. He's like the, the Taylor Kitsch of the 2010s. Wow, true. And that's yeah. interesting because Taylor Kitsch, I think, is in um, uh, John another Carter. Joseph... No, it's in the other Joseph oh. Kaczynski film, um, Only the Brave, oh which we gosh. haven't yet spoken about. But oh my gosh, that's such a funny... And he was also in John Carter of Mars, that other Disney massive mega budget kind of box office flop. And then, and then the, yeah, yeah, that's right. These guys, whereas Tom Cruise, can I just say, <laughs> what a launch pad. And he's actually made something of his career, hasn't yeah. he? Good old Tom. <laughs> um, can I talk about the Kubrick element in Tron Legacy? You know, yes. the, 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 the his, his apartment? Yeah, the headquarters of um, Jeff Bridges' yeah. character. Uh, and just the, again, like the referencing of, of films. And mm-hmm. it just comes back to the confidence in, in what's going on in that movie. It's, Which makes sense, doesn't it? The architect and the art design yeah. and all that, the art direction, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, and all that doesn't it? Yeah, and I can see on your notes you've said Killian Murphy! Yeah. Oh, well, I, I did. I mean, I was really excited to see Killian Murphy. Yeah, me and too. Then, and in then, one scene, and then he's yeah. gone. And then that was that. Well, and, he, he was obviously being set up for as the main sequel. villain for the sequel, right? Which apparently the, uh, the Tron 3 is in development since 2020. Fingers crossed. Hopefully it's good. Well, to be fair, you know, Top Gun was ready to come out, wasn't it, in 2019? Yeah. yeah. And uh, we've been waiting quite a while. So we can maybe hope Killian I think is terrific in everything Mm -hmm. but yeah I was a little bit disappointed he didn't do more Michael Sheen who you've already mentioned I mean I remember at the time just going oh my god he's amazing and also then going well he's actually you know kind of Bowie meets Charlie Chaplin meets Frankenfurter just go have fun yeah Yeah, it's so so, you know, and he does a lovely job. Um, does he? I do. I think, I think so. so. He, he gives the movie just a burst of energy yes, where everything's super down. I suppose. A bit of panache. Yeah. 
Um, Come on, he, did you see the bit where he uses his cane as an electric guitar? Yes, and it's then he totally does the Charlie so weird. Chaplin sort of like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's oh. like, just improvise, we'll, we'll pick the best bits yeah. is what it feels like. Can I just say, because um, this is really not particularly interesting, but I like it when directors, uh, when they're, you know, I love a good Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that Joseph Kaczynski, well, I can only think of about, I know he must have done more than four films by now, maybe, but Tron Legacy, we're saying, is his first, and then Oblivion, Mm -hmm. and then Only the Brave, Mm -hmm. which is totally different uh, in terms of genre. It's it's based on uh, fact. It's about firefighters in the wilderness. It's very, very gritty, hugely gripping, and absolutely worth watching, and you should totally, but it ain't nothing like... Um, a sci-fi type film and then of course Top Gun Maverick which is not a sci-fi film either but um, obviously you've got your Tom Cruise in a couple of those you've got Miles Mm. Teller in a couple of those um, because he's also in Only the Brave you've got Jeff Bridges who's in Tron Legacy and Only the Brave Mm. you've got Jennifer Connelly who's in Only the Brave and Top Gun Maverick and so there's really nice um, as I say, it's a nice sort of Venn diagram and intersecting sets mm. there, which I quite like. I also had this moment watching Tron Legacy with Olivia Wilde, and I, and I now think of her as a director more than an yeah, actor. Right, and I was like, oh, good. that's right. She's the, when she first was in the movie, I was like, oh, she's quite striking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Both in looks and in kind of her kind of presence. Her mm. character was uh, very 2010s, it felt. Yes. yes. She doesn't do much. <laughs> no. Very, very manic pixie dream girl. Yes. Um, uh, but reading again, reading the interviews with um, with her back in 2010, it was like we were trying to create a uh, jo- like Joan of Arc style archetype. Mm. Oh, what um, in Tron Legacy? In Tron is that Legacy. What they were going for? Yeah, yeah, because she is is praising this God character, mm. uh, Kevin Flynn. Uh, she's been instructed by God to kind of lead these, this revolution. Right. Um, and it's just so funny, like, watching the performance, and it's like, oh, she's, like, wide-eyed anime looks the yes. entire movie, and it just comes off as really, really goofy. Yeah. And then there's that final scene of her becoming a human and pinned to the back of Garrett Hedlund yeah. as they're riding their motorbike along. Feeling the along. sun on her skin. And she looks so thrilled. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's reminiscent of Tom Cruise and old anybody on the and back Blade of Runner his bike. Well, but, um, very Blade yeah. Runner-y. But, um, but yeah, true. That well, in that regard, in the um, but I was thinking of Jennifer Connelly pinned to the back of Tom Cruise, zooming along mm. on a motorbike. You know. Well, so, let's let's pivot. Let's talk. What, what, what were people's experiences watching Top Gun? Maverick. And where did you watch it? Um, we paid good money to see it in the IMAX. Um, and uh, we got very good seats for it. And I thought that the fi- flight scenes were incredibly well done. And I've read up a whole bunch. And as usual, good old Tom Cruise, for whom I have a lot of respect. And I know that, you know, you might as well cut in everything I've ever said about him <laughs> from other episodes, Jeremy. Because um, I really respect the fact that he does the work and the training and gains the skills in each of the things that he does so that we, the audience, gets a genuine thrill knowing that it isn't a stunt person or CGI. Um, And to to have read that all of those young people, those pilots, went up in those planes um, and, you know, what was it, something like... 800 hours of, of, of footage or something mm. to cut cut into a two-hour they filmed, movie. They filmed or... himself, didn't they? Like, yeah. like, they had to film... The director didn't know what he got until they landed and he looked at it later on. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, and so I thought, well, that was thrilling. But I'd heard such great things and everyone was, like, raving about it. And the bits that are true to the original, true to the 80s, by which I mean the relationshipy stuff and the slightly corny stuff... 
still felt a little corny to me. And and so I, I, I didn't love that. I didn't love the Jennifer Connelly character, although it wasn't... It wasn't It's risable, the weakest part of the film. But it wasn't awful. At least they the didn't stick her in like low-cut <laughs> tops and all that nonsense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They it was didn't... Um, one of the most awkwardly cut-together sex scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, more than the original. <laughs> oh, okay. The, the original had lots of tongue-on-tongue yeah. action yeah. and silly. Good old Tony And, and, and the, this yeah. one, it cuts to both of them like snuggling in bed. Yeah, my yeah. friend turned to me. She's like, I like the end. She's like, what was that? I was like, oh, it's kind of referencing the old one where they lick tongues. I mean, yeah, it definitely. Well, there was there was no real romance about it, and the fact that she then takes off at the end, um, you're like, yeah, all right then, never mind. Yeah, but, well, um, why was she there? What what did she serve in the film? Was she, was it just a chance for him to be have a heart to heart and reveal his yeah. emotions because he couldn't do it in the teacher role? I, I think so. I think so. And also to call back to Top Gun, which is, I mean, it's not really a movie about airplanes everybody it's it's basically a romantic drama with some airplanes in it right well well you may have read um that apparently when kaczynski so when the studio said hey let's do another top gun they couldn't convince tom cruise to do another top gun and i think for very good reason until kaczynski went to see him uh and said look actually this is a relationship drama not relationship romantic relationship but this is about you and goose's son Mm. and that was what sold tom cruise on wanting to be involved in the story at all i can't remember how the exact wording is from the interview that i read but that was what that was the film that he wanted to make and actually i think that side of things worked quite nicely also maverick going to see val kilmer's mm. iceman they character. did that very well because yeah. he can't speak can he so no good. yeah that was all and mind wasn't, and wasn't that a respectful yeah it was really well done a respectful mm-hmm. use of the real val kilmer's real throat cancer and real the way that he is now yeah. very nuanced incorporating uh, uh, how you did how really did special that. yeah Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and it was very moving, wasn't it? Yeah. Particularly because we know that we're seeing real Val Kilmer, yeah. somewhat somewhat diminished. I mean, he's fought very hard, but do you know what I mean? Somewhat diminished by throat cancer. I think mm-hmm. it's throat cancer. And and um, you can see like real emotion in the scenes between the two. Absolutely. Um, and when they hug, it's kind of like this, just this amazing catharsis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was very beautiful. How um, was the IMAX? Do you agree with any of my criticisms, or are you quite happy to pay oh, the big bucks? I'm fine with the IMAX. Well, no, I don't like paying for anything, Jeremy. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I'm I'm fine with it. And I mean, if anything, mm. I think there's not quite enough knee legroom. But it's not because I I, I want to be able to splay out. It's just that mm. it's pretty it's pretty tight in the IMAX, mm. isn't it? Mm. Um, but basically, if you're not up the back and in the middle, then you know, get out of the room. There's no way I would want the misfortune of being close up the front did you see Top Gun Maverick in the IMAX no no because you don't like IMAX no right so I went and saw it at my favourite cinema now in Auckland which is the VMAX at Newmarket Event Cinemas and And, and it was fine I see it on the recliner chairs so I sit in the Mm -hmm. centre of the theatre um, and the chairs not only uh, we talked about this before and you always have me on the feet don't just come up but the whole back goes that's back right. and you go well, that is a recliner chair that's, that's what recliners that's do right. <laughs> that's recline that's right but you know sometimes they don't it's not just cinemas. a footrest chair <laughs> but yeah okay. I should just say I do love the silky otter for yeah. certain yeah. films and we went and saw Nightmare Alley there yeah. I went to yeah. see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 there and it was a blast oh. I mean it's such a lovely theatre yeah I like how I pivoted off the actual... But was that enough Top Gun? Was that enough of (laughs) a Top Gun experience? So, you've got to understand my relationship with Top Gun, which you probably do, because I watched it for the podcast. You know, I watched Top Gun for the first time 
four-hour episode that we paired it with Mission Impossible Fallout. I did not like it. I shut down watching. I never, I very rarely shut down in a movie, but yeah. I was not interested in the flight sequences. I found the unnamed enemy quite offensive, and that it bought into oh, America. Which one? This, this is the, the original. Legacy, this the original. original. Yeah. I just find it buys into the dehumanizing of Americans' enemies, and I just found the whole film kind of. Kind of repulsive. The only thing that um, that saved it for me is that wonderful Quentin Tarantino r- reading of the film that it's really about Tom Cruise's character struggling with his homosexuality. You know, that whole... Yeah, you know, that be my wingman. Yeah, later. right? And I just think that's such a wonderful, subversive reading of the original film. Um, and can I just say this latest one is very homoerotic. I know it's not the narrative of the movie, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of yeah. chest slapping and... Not just the, the beach volleyball scene? Uh, I mean, in this one, it's, in the new one, it's rugby, isn't it? Or, well, it's, or, it's or beach, football, beach, footy, yeah. Beach, but it's beach football. Isn't yeah, it? you're right. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, which by the way, you know, they filmed and then they all went and had a big meal and then Tom Cruise watched the dailies and said, "Nap, you're not ripped enough." And they had to go back and spend yeah. a week in the gym and refilm that whole I, sequence. I heard that that was quite punishing. <laughs> Some of them spent, I read, upwards of a year, upwards to a year. Wow, getting your bodies in shape really? for that scene, and they were very competitive, I believe. Yeah. Wow. So I went into this movie because of this podcast. I had no interest in seeing Top Gun Maverick. I don't care about planes. Um, I can take or leave Tom Cruise. I love the, him as an actor, but I can't stand him as a Scientologist because of just that whole situation. Um, and so I went along. My friend Steph came with me. I said, do you want to come and see a movie I don't really want to see? She said, I don't really want to see it either. We went along. We had a few drinks beforehand. In terms of the cinema, brilliant. It's brilliant <laughs> cinema. This is not Wait, wait. Yeah, it is though, because this is the sort of film that lets us talk about it. That cinema is wonderful. It's right. wonderful chairs, mm. big screen. The sound is that Atmos sound. It's just this beautiful. This is brought to you by, by the Dolby VMAX. Atmos, the VMAX cinema. New market. Um, everything within me didn't want to love this film, and it was really good. Oh, good. And I really liked it, and it was really tense and oh, amazing. Awesome. And as listeners may know, I'm a huge Lady Gaga fan. I don't love that song in the film, but what I did love was that. She was credited as a composer alongside yes. Hans Zimmer, mm-hmm. which I've read a review from Hans Zimmer saying she provided us the refrain of the whole film. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful how that's, and I know the song, and it's woven in through all the score. Yeah. Right. And it has that wonderful payoff at the end. Right. You know? I think Jennifer Connolly's character was pretty forgettable, but I didn't mind because it was harking back to the, the Top Gun uh, previous film. And I will just say the fact that she's in her late 40s. She's amazing. Possibly early 50s. I really do like that we have women of that age playing sexy lead, mature middle-aged women leads. I loved her. I mean, I love Jennifer Connelly. So I think she was a great casting choice. Um, And I just think that, you know, the the unnamed enemy, it wasn't an issue for me in this film because it was a harking back to the previous one. I thought the way that they set up that final sequence, you knew exactly what was happening. You knew exactly what was meant to happen. So I was like, oh, things are going to go wrong and we're going to know exactly what's going on. This is a heist movie. Yeah, true. Or it's a Mission Impossible movie with the Tom Cruise angle. And that was very well handled, eh? Because we knew... Well, exactly. Yeah, Not only that, on. they gave us a computer animated demonstration yeah. of exactly how the planes were going to make yeah. Star Wars, right? Yeah. It was basically the trench run. I mean, it yeah. is a yes. trench run where they have to, you know, bullseye this womp rat sized target. Uh, except instead of a straight run, now it's harder because there's curves and yeah. there's a climb at the top. And just that wonderful moment where he gets fired and then he, he shows them yeah. how to do it. And, they, and just, I, I think the other thing that we like, because my friend Steph is a teacher as well, mm-hmm. it's a teacher movie. Yeah. It's a, and, I, and I actually turned to her at one point because she's a huge fan of um, Sister Act 2. And I just started humming the Sister Act 2 song, you know, the do, 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 do. Because I was like, 
Tom Cruise is practically Whoopi Goldberg from Sister mm. Act 2. We could have paired this with Sister Act 2, and it would have been a great pairing, uh, except for the scene where he leaves Jennifer Connelly's house and jumps down and the daughter sees. A friend turned to me and said, Whoopi never did that. Uh, <laughs> Can I just say, it may well be a teacher movie, but actually, if you don't mind my saying, teachers are not in the end meant to go, guys, guys, do you know what? Forget about it. I'll do it. <laughs> Some teachers do that. Yeah, They lose their certification. But... <laughs> William, tell us about your Top Gun Maverick experience. Ah, right. So I went to see it at uh, not at the VMAX. <laughs> no, I went to see it. Don't tell. S- you didn't watch it on an airplane, did you? No. Oh, <laughs> that'd be really cool. You could no, feel the turns. No. <laughs> uh, no. It was it was at Saint Luke's, also sponsored by. Um, no, <laughs> is, that, is that an event cinema? Uh, is that? Yeah, it is an event cinema. The first thing, so I went to see it with my mum, who is kind of a fan of the first Top Gun, but read really good things about the second one. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that really stood out even before the movie began was the demographics. Um, Mm. The theatre was pretty much packed, and this is like second week of release. Yes. Um, Jurassic World was just around the corner, Mm. and it was, you know, it was everyone. Um, Oh, that's nice. It was families bringing their kids. Yep. Uh, buddies, Our IMAX was absolutely packed to the gunnels. And so was my my VMAX. Which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm thinking there is a reason why this movie is probably going to be the highest grossing movie of the year domestically in the States. Like, something about this, maybe it's the pandemic, right? Maybe we want more simple entertainment. Maybe we want simple entertainment that's not tied to pre-existing properties. Mm. We were talking about Jeremy with Doctor Strange. Movies that don't require you to do homework. Yeah. Um, but I had a blast with this movie. I, I, I do think um, some criticisms before I get into the good stuff. Like, the movie is slightly too long, just a tad too long. And I found the third act, uh, there's something that happens, which I was like, what? What's that? <laughs> do you mean... He saves him, yeah. saves him, saves him, well, saves which him. Which is... Oh, when they crash. It, it's a very, yeah, very, yeah, like, yeah. tense, serious denouement. Yeah. Um, they're being chased by missiles. It's super, you know, edge-of-seat stuff. And then Tom Cruise kind of fulfills his destiny yeah. to, to Goose and to Rooster and sacrifices himself by taking one of the missiles head-on. Yeah. This amazing fireball. And Miles Teller's like, no, Dad! Um, and it's like, oh, man, this is... And, and he's still alive. And he now he's being shot at by a helicopter. And now Mel's Teller's there with him. Yeah. And they have to Saving steal... His life. They have to steal an old F-14. Which is, like, <laughs> which is like, okay, so this is going into full-on goofy town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and it, it's cute. an identical moment to The Force Awakens where they find the old Millennium Falcon. Mm. And it's like, this piece of junk. Um, and they show, you know, it's, it's not the plane. It's the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it, after I, you know, kind of... Uh, Okay, I see what you're doing, movie. I'll go along with it. And it became a cartoon. It was really fun. Mm. But uh, there was that break where it was like this, this serious movie about fathers and sons mm. and sacrifice and, and learning and growth. Um, and then, yeah, it became something else. But that's that's okay. I have to say, there was there were at least two instances. There's the bit where he says goodbye to Jennifer Connelly. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, he's going <laughs> to No, they were die. really set. No, no, I was like, yeah. I was thinking, no, they're really setting this up to make us think he's going to die. And then, no, <laughs> he's then, not going to die. But then Miles Teller's like, hey, I need to tell you something. And oh, he's like, yeah. oh, we'll talk about it afterwards. Yeah. I went, no, and he's that's gonna like die. movie language for death. But that's what exactly. I mean. I knew that they were, they were playing with that. I was like, like they Bugs and Luke Skywalker. He's like, "Hey, Luke, we'll talk about it after we come back from the mission." 
Yeah. No, I was really, I was genuinely worried. I was like, oh man, this is Tom Cruise going, I'll do this movie, but we're going to kill him off at the end of it, and that will be the end of that. And I thought he'd do that. Mm. I thought I had the double thing, right? So I was like, oh no, he's going to die. The Hang double on. cross. No, I was like, no, when he, when, they, when those moments happen, oh, I thought, yeah. oh no, that's setting that's movie language. And I was like, yeah. Hang on, no, this movie's too clever for that. It's setting it up like. <laughs> or does it want us to think it's too clever for that? It's going to what I, what I will say is the thing that impressed me the most and again my friend Stephanie we were both agreed she's a media studies teacher so you know she's a film fan and, and, and film critic just really good storytelling and like whilst there might be an element of this film that is just hitting at the right time it is really well put together mm. and it does its work it sets up that emotional story series that you're talking about about the fathers and the sons yeah. it pays homage to the original film in a really great way that doesn't also belabor the kind of nostalgia yeah. Um, I love that it, com- it commits to the 80s style soundtrack and yes. the imagery and you know this film only works if it kind of just steps in full full I don't even know what the metaphor is fully steps into the fact that it is a military film mm-hmm. and and doesn't try and be too clever with that because it just needs to own the fact that it's about what are, what are they, the Navy? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, they are the Navy. Yeah, it's yeah. weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they are. The flying Navy. Navy pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the young the, 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 quite the, the, annoying. Oh, there's a joke about it when he's on the, the, the yacht with Jeff Oh, that's Bondi. right. <laughs> Welcome like to the a, Navy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. By the way, nobody wears helmets. Nobody wears life jackets. The same in Tron Legacy. Nobody wears helmets. Yeah. Do they not believe in... Like, no, wait, this is supposed do, to be. You touch the back of your head and it goes over you. No, no, I'm talking about on the, the real world. On, the, on the motorbikes oh, and in the no. yacht. And I'm yeah, like, no, these no. are the smartest flipping people. Do they not know how dangerous a motorcycle is? Where are the helmets? Maybe they're just really libertarian. (laughs) I I, I was thinking, oh, they're not that smart. The state can't tell me what to do. I'll tell you why. (laughs) I've got a note here that I made when I was comparing these two films and I was looking for similarities. Mm -hmm. Risk takers. (laughs) They're um, mavericks. They they literally are, though. Garrett Hedlund does base jumping. Yeah. uh, And the other dude, like Tom, whatever his name is, does like flying. Mm -hmm. They both ride motorcycles very fast. Um, and, and they both wear leather jackets. Yeah. So there we go. Do you know, when the, when the movie started with that wonderful sequence with Tom Which Cruise, oh, uh, yeah, Top yeah. Gun Legacy, uh, what's it called? Top Gun Maverick. See? Uh, <laughs> I called it Tron Maverick earlier. Tron Maverick and Top Gun Legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he's flying into the stratosphere and he's pushing the limits oh, and then he such explodes. a good opening. And then, it, and then the next, it goes black and then the next sequence is him arriving at it. I was thinking, oh, is this a, is this a, are they, are they doing a thing where we think this is immediately following but actually, Actually, that's the end oh, of the film. That's he actually cool. died. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and we think that, and it, it actually, yeah. But no, that wasn't what was happening. That that opening sequence was so cool. Yeah, and it was it was just ringing tension from a number ticking up to yeah. ten. Like the editing and the the brief shots of the, whatever that fighter was, like skimming the atmosphere. Just incredible stuff, and what a way to start your movie. Was it Ed Harris? Was that he? was Ed yeah. Harris. Yeah. Yeah. and we all know now what G's are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. 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 Oh yeah. Ten G's. Ten point one. Yeah, yeah. These ones go to eleven. Oh no, it was Mac. Sorry, it was Mac. It was Mac. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Just all the flight sequences, you guys. Mm. Just I, I mean, we've already talked about the verisimilitude of of the whole thing. But man, how whatever lens they use in these fighter jets, like. Allows you to just see all yeah. around you, and it puts you in their seats. Puts you in the driver's yeah. seat. Yeah. Yes, indeed. It's um, just but it's so well put together, and we know exactly who everybody is. Yeah. And whether that's through a name or through a, you know, oh, I just I just thought it was really well. well with the, the new kids, I, I know you just said you find them a little bit annoying. I do find them a little bit annoying. Um, but like I, 
I like how, you know, they have just enough character. You know who everyone on the final mission is. Who your goodie is, is yeah. and your selfish right. one is, and yeah. your arrogant one is, and your team player is. Yep. I thought they were... I mean, I'm such. I'm so gullible. I thought they were going to kill off Nerdy McNerdatron, <laughs> but they didn't. <laughs> Nerdy McNerdatron. I mean... Bob. Bob. Was his name Bob? Yeah. I thought it was. Not I loved it. I, mean, I love how they played with those... Because, you know, they're not, just a, they're not just a film kind of... Tr- what do you call it? Cliche. Mm-hmm. You know, but they, they're harking back to oh, the original. A trope, oh, there's a yeah. trope. They're harking back to the original with those characters and they play with them in a way that's really quite quite impressive. I thought Miles Teller was fantastic in yeah. this movie. And he really held his own against the charisma of Tom Cruise. And it's a very unusual, well, I say an unusual role for him to play. I guess it's not my typical Miles Teller kind of role, you yeah. know. And you talk about him have it, them all having to get beefed up and mm-hmm. tanned up as well. I mean, oh my God. And they went through Navy on. training to, to you know... Um, be in this movie they had yeah. to be in the fighters uh, obviously in the fighter jets but they had underwater training they had to escape from underwater stuff wow. uh, it was really really intense that is amazing I thought yeah. John Hamm did a great job oh he was well. amazing yeah. I forgot was, was great. to write him down he yeah. was amazing like, and he didn't overplay it he just no. did the, what he was meant to do which was be the villain that eventually sees the Maverick way I, I, yeah. thought, for him. I thought when Maverick and Rooster were stuck in No Man's Land that cyclone John Hamm himself was going to get into one of those planes and save the day. No, but for you it <laughs> descended into such ludicrous Yes, that was, you were that, like, was why mission, not? that was James Bond Mission Impossible territory. Yeah. yeah oh, maybe. heck yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. um, you know, he's like, you know, I, I was you back in the day. I was top of Top Gun. <laughs> it's like, oh man, he really, he's itching to get back in that seat. Mm. I loved the whole sequence as well of all of these young bucks thinking that they're better than the, they're the best of yeah. the best. Mm. And just, they really did a great job of you know, he he really puts them in their place, but you still really like Tom Cruise. Yes, like, yeah. How do they do that? Because you, it would be so easy to ostracize your audience. Yeah. But you're just like, yeah. Do you show them Maverick? You know, yeah. you are the best, and he always was the best. And mm-hmm. it, it's that's quite a that's a hard thing to pull off in this climate. You know. Do you know? I wonder whether, and we've touched on this when every time we've talked about Tom Cruise in a film. I wonder, I, I really like what you just said, Jeremy, and I wonder whether, whether we consciously know it or not, we all bring to our acknowledgement of his character that this is Tom frickin' Cruise, and he does earn, he has earned our respect by dint of having learned how to fly millions of different types of helicopters <laughs> and aeroplanes and, you know, climb up Burg Khalifa for real, etc. You know what I mean? So you're yeah. absolutely right. When he slightly diminutive fellow as he famously is comes out with his you know his um flying jacket on and he stands there and speaks quite calmly and quietly it it does have well it, gravitas it's, it's got a meta quality to it isn't it mm. because he's actually supporting these young actors yeah mm. well, which is amazing and he's done this in so many other movies recently as well the mission impossible movies mm. are, he's, he's taken like Simon know, Pegg Simon Pegg Rebecca Ferguson um, people, you know, who have been relative unknowns or, you know, relative unknowns in the action movie and mm-hmm. turn them into action stars in their own right. Mm. I'm thinking of uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Emily Blunt. Oh, amazing. And it's like, he, he's letting his co-stars shine. Apparently mm. he is very gracious yeah. actor. I've heard that as well. With. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Very mana upholding, if right. you will. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame as religion. Well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of religion, <laughs> how about that Tron legacy? Am yeah. I right, everyone? Oh my gosh. Um, kind of the, the back into Tron a little bit. Um, yes. Actually, one thing, I would say it's a maverick as well. Because both Kevin Flynn and Pete Mitchell, they're just Jesus, right? 
I, I mean, think so, yeah. <laughs> it's so Jesus-y, it's not funny. But his plane, when he sacrifices himself, even makes like the shape of a cross before it falls down. Um, and then Kevin Flynn, my goodness. Cause, uh, so you guys haven't seen the original Tron, but in the original Tron, that is Jeff Bridges at the peak of his charisma. Like, he's buff, he's super handsome, he's like California surfer dude. Um, he still sprouts his mumbo-jumbo about, you know, bow-digital jazz, man. Mm-hmm. Knock on the sky and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, he, he is, like, you know, alpha male nerd. Right. Um, and in, in the sequel, he becomes, like, Buddha and Jesus in one. <laughs> Bare, and, barefooted and, and berobed yeah, as well. Yeah. And he's also the dude. And, and the yeah. dude, lots of the dude in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when he walks into a room, when, when he walks into uh, Michael Sheen's bar, and everyone just stops what they're doing, and there's, there's this, this moment of religious, like, fervor. Mm. Um, and every, yeah. everywhere he goes, he has this, like, a literal aura around him, which throws people away mm. or draws people in. Nice. Like, it's it's nice very, reading. very fun. And also, of course, when Sam first arrives on the grid and meets mm. Clue and looks at the face and mm. thinks, oh, this is my dad. And Clue says to him, I am not your father, yeah. Sam, but I am very pleased to see you. You know, I thought, at the time I was like, it's like Star Wars, you mm-hmm. know, uh, except it's I am not your father. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that as well. Can we talk about Clue? Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? I mean, the tech You mean was... the one with Tim Curry? And <laughs> yeah. all the actors? <laughs> I love that film. And the multiple... Oh, and the multiple I love that the right film. One. The, film oh. the film of the board game. Oh, oh wait, you mean... The Jeff Bridges character. Yes. Oh, right. So, I mean, the codified likeness utility. Because um, um, I remember back in 2010, this was groundbreaking tech. And it didn't look right. No. I, I, my thing is that there's, there's that sequence at the start with, with his, when he's Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. and he's young with the son. And then there's also the sequence on the TV where he's talking. I just wish that they had somehow filmed that without ever seeing his face. Yeah. So that when Clue is in the... It's more of world. a reveal. Mm-hmm. No, it's just because he looks fake. Yeah. So he looks computer generated. Yes, but isn't he meant to look computer? Oh, no, in the real not in the real oh, world. I see, I Whereas see. if it's just in the... Yes, he does look super smooth. Well, when he's he? on TV, at least there's like a CRT filter, so it kind of hides it a little bit. Right. But when he's telling his son the story about Tron and all that, it's like, oh, who is yeah. this man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like they need to find another way. Or That's like the thing that gets me, and I think I've talked about it before, is... You know, these massive big movies, and then they have a photograph from back, you know, my father worked with with da da da, and it's clearly a photoshopped image. <laughs> right. And it's all He's the shaking time. hands with Kennedy. Yeah, but it's just like the faces are all slightly weird because <laughs> yeah. they're photoshopped it poorly. And the and shadow's like, wrong. Could you not just take a photo with them and, like, they look old, but we just, we yeah. just suspend disbelief? <laughs> Did do what the Fly, uh, the Five Bloods did, where they were just like old playing twenty year olds. That was that was the best part about that movie. There was not much. <laughs> is that they didn't the try and fake it? No. no so they, and the whole the whole conceit yeah. was is that the the, the Chadwick Bosman character who had died in Vietnam was young. Yes. Yeah. Which is quite sad now because he is yeah, he is yeah. dead. But um, they were all you know unlike the Irishman where they did oh, de-age the CG, everybody. Yeah. I just that's why I think that's why I can't watch that movie. I haven't watched it. I, I would say you know we've come quite a way since or quite a while since Tron Legacy. You know. It's 12 years, mm. so much movie technology in, in the intervening years. And yet this de-aging stuff still just does not look right. Mm. Like you see Luke Skywalker and Mandalorian or Book of Boba Fett. And it's good. It's the, really the deep, good. The deep fake stuff on YouTube looks amazing. Oh, well, that is deep fact. I, I guess when you actually have people act with deep fake, I think yeah. that's the thing, right? Um, so it looks like Mark Hamill uh, back in 1986. 
and he sounds like Mark Hamill back oh, in 1986. Oh, I see, and his face moves like Mark Hamill because yes. technically it is him. But, and then do they... Um, yeah, so they, they, they use uh, AI algorithms Got to uh, see how the shadows move yeah, and all right. that. But there's something about it that still doesn't look quite right. Yeah. That uncanny valley just drags you completely out of it's it. It's true, eh? It's like you know how the trick's done, so it doesn't matter how the trick's yeah. done. You know, you know. I mean, it's interesting, though. Like, Tom Cruise's deep fake in Top Gun Maverick was... Oh, that's just his face. <laughs> I thought you were being tricky. He just hasn't aged, has he? He looks oh, the same. Apparently, well, he puts he... his face in ice water five minutes a day. That's oh. it. That's yeah. what's done. That's all we need to do is put our face in ice water. All right, final thoughts. William. Okay, uh, Top Gun, super fun movie. Uh, one of my favorites of the year so far, I think. Um, just a real feel-good action movie. Like, we talked about it being a, a military movie. I find the the hoorah, you know, USA is actually way more obvious and ugly in the first movie. Mm. Um, I feel like this one, they turn it down somewhat. Um, it's much more, as you, say, you guys say, it's much more about the student-teacher relationship and about Tom Cruise, like, leading these, these young bucks to be the best that they can be. Plus, like... All that aerial footage just wow we linking to Tron, both these movies, so clean, so well edited. Joe Kaczynski, like I, I'm a fan of this guy. He he knows how to make a movie. Mm. He definitely knows how to make a movie that really just ticks and looks fantastic. Looks and sounds fantastic. The Top Gun uh, yeah, the the sound editing, mm. uh, and Tron Legacy. I was so glad to revisit it. Like again, maybe it's too early to say so, but it's given me like heavy twenty tens nostalgia. Um, uh, there's something about the movies of that era, especially ones that Disney were churning out. Uh, I have down here like Tomorrowland. You guys remember that the Brad Bird movie mm-hmm. or John Carter previously mentioned, um, and they were big kind of financial disasters, but they had heart. And they were unlike anything people had seen before. And Tron is definitely in that category. And it's it's kind of sad that, you know, they don't get to make Tron 3. They had everything in place and then the Marvel and Star Wars stuff took off. Um, but what we have is just such a fitting follow-up to the original Tron. Like, it's, it's not a great movie, as I said before, but everything it has going for it, it has going for it in spades. And it's... The definition of cult. Like, this is the kind of movie that people will remember for all its wonderful, wonderful qualities. Hmm. I can't oh. really top anything. I mean, oh, I can't sorry. even hardly meet anything that you said there, William. I would agree with you on the, the, the sound and light beauty of both films, I think. They were both spectacular to watch. Uh, I would rather revisit Maverick than revisit Tron Legacy again, but I I give it points for everything that it did at the time. I think really I am mostly just super impressed that that was Joseph Kaczynski's first film. Um, It didn't seem probably like a gamble when they gave it to this guy with a background in commercials and uh, architecture or or whatever else. but, but the fact that four films in, he's doing Top Gun Maverick, I think is an extraordinary feat. And I think he absolutely blimmin' nailed it. Mm. Um, I felt extremely nostalgic watching Top Gun. And I pre-welled up a couple of times thinking that I was going to have my heart broken. And I didn't know if they were <sighs> going to kill off Val Kilmer or Tom or whomever, you know. But I was anticipating the sadness. And I think also I projected... It probably wasn't there, but I projected into it that Tom... I I've suddenly projected into Tom Cruise one day either dying or giving up 
acting and that truly will be an end of an era um, for many of us. And I felt sad about that. And so to me, in a way, Top Gun Maverick was... It's not his final film, God willing. There will be that Mission Impossible and there will be a bunch of other stuff. But do you know what I mean? It felt like a real revisiting. It felt like this was the film that had made him massive. Here he is. I don't know. I felt a sadness around that. I didn't feel any sort of sadness around Tron Legacy at all. Uh, and I don't have a whole lot to say about that film, but I do think it was super pretty. And I think it really worked for what it did in its time. I agree with both of you. I, I really enjoyed both films. I really enjoyed revisiting Tron Legacy. I mean, that, that Daft Punk soundtrack is just wonderful. I mean, it's on my Spotify playlist. I sometimes mm. just do listen to it when I'm studying or whatever, you know, like it's yeah. really quite a lovely listen. And not just for the electronic elements, there's some really incredible orchestral oh, yes. stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, very. Um, that's just great. And also now that Daft Punk have disbanded, it's yeah. quite quite lovely to see them, you know, immortalised in, in the movie. They're in the um, movie, yeah. And Charlie, uh, Charlie? No, Michael. Michael Sheen uh, tells them to, like, play the hits, and it's amazing. It's like, give us something more upbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really, really great. And then, yeah, like I said, I've already kind of given you my, my overview of... Um, Top Gun Maverick and that I went in with very uh, low expectations and kind of wanting to not like the movie. And you loved it. I'm I really so enjoyed thrilled it. that that's how you <laughs> felt. It that's just was really, really, really good. And I think that, um, you know, we, we're really primed as, as a, not just as a nation, but internationally. I think about when Star Wars came out, it came out at a time where people were just kind of exhausted at being sad yeah. um, and being a bit um, nihilistic about the world. And I, I don't know if we're we're getting to that point, but I don't think I think we're still got mm. a long ways to go with this pandemic. But mm. people, like you said, William, I think are just wanting wanting content that doesn't require anything of them, mm. <laughs> because we've just there's enough requiring us in the world at the mm. moment. And I think that it's nice to watch a film like um, like Top Gun Maverick, uh, all all of those Hey America, Ho Ho, whatever you see it aside. Um, which you're right, is not a major part of the movie. But it is still there, let's yeah. be honest. That's still a pro-military film. Not as bad as... Um, what was the military movie I watched the other day that was just terrible? <laughs> Dog. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it was, it was such Channing a bad Tatum. film. Well, I, I mean... It was so bad. And it was just like, celebrate, let's celebrate the army and, wow. and this main character's been traumatised. Anyways, by the <laughs> by, final thoughts. Yes, loved both films. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Amazon Music. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are great places to let us know what you think of this episode, or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then... No, what am I?